Hey there, it's Gary Parrish. It's Tuesday, February 7th. Welcome back to the Ion College Basketball Podcast. I got Matt Norlander here with me, and I, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, hold up. This is supposed to be a Wednesday podcast, but it's being recorded on Tuesday afternoon. What's the Rush GP? And the answer to that question is this. Norlander and I have to record uh, these podcasts around our hectic schedules. That means around my television schedule, uh, around my family schedule, around his one-year-old son, around travel, and sometimes even around Garth Brooks concerts. That's why we recorded last Friday's podcast early on Thursday night, because on later Thursday night, I took my wife to a Garth Brooks concert, and we had an early flight Friday morning to South Carolina. So the only time to get that done before, like, late Friday afternoon was to just knock it out early on Thursday night because of Garth Brooks. You can blame Garth Brooks. Norlander, you're a music expert. Where are you at on Garth Brooks? <laughs> Where I'm at on Garth Brooks is that uh, he is not my style, but he is he's the one artist where I don't think people realize how many records that dude has sold. Right. It's an insane number and i don't have it in front of me i do have it but I, 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 I venture that there have not been more than five solo artists in the history of this planet that have sold more records than garth brooks how about this um i can look that up by the way because i looked it up last week i uh, similar to you uh, garth brooks is not my thing i grew up in the south i am of the age where you know i was a, a teenager when when garth brooks was the biggest thing uh in this country um, but I was never into it. Never owned a Garth Brooks album. I mean, I know all the songs just because if you lived in those times, it was impossible not to know all the songs. Um, just was never into it. Like, I can't remember the last time I listened to Garth Brooks. Uh, it, it might be never. You know, but back back when I was in high school, you might end up at somebody's house who had a Garth Brooks album on or in somebody's car who had a Garth Brooks CD. Um, but you were never going to find me with the Garth Brooks CD in my vehicle. Uh, that said... Um, he, like, scheduled these random shows at FedEx Forum in Memphis. Like, it was supposed to be one show, and it sold out within minutes. So then they immediately scheduled another one, like, for the next night. Sold out in, like, four minutes. So then they immediately scheduled another one. Sold out in, like, four minutes. Then they scheduled, scheduled another one. So he, he did four sold-out shows at FedEx Forum uh, last Thursday, Friday, then Saturday afternoon, and then Saturday night. And uh, the radio station I work for in Memphis is uh, is owned by Intercom, which owns you know my radio station, but also like a station called ninety four point one The Wolf. Like it's a country music station, right? The and Wolf. The Wolf. Oh, that's that's how they do it on the air. It's like ninety four point one The Wolf. Oh, like that right there. And so I. Uh, that we had access to like good tickets, and the way Garth Brooks does it apparently is he hates ticket scalpers and everything that they represent. So what he does is he puts every ticket on sale for the exact same amount, and then you have to like you can't use the tickets unless you also have an ID that goes with it or something like that. There's some sort of ticket scalping proof mechanism that he used. So when the tickets go on sale, they're all the same price. So you can be on the front row, it costs like $68, or you can be at the top row, it costs $68. And uh, because he doesn't want people with more money to have access to, to, to the better tickets. So uh, the radio station had access to like, uh, you know, really good tickets, like section 104, like, you know, fifth row, like, you, you know, you could like throw, um, you know, a paper airplane and hit Garth Brooks pretty easily if you wanted to. So I said, you know what, we got access to him. He is an icon. Um, we'll go. And I will say this. Um, the reason I want to go is for exactly the reason you mentioned. I don't think people recognize, um, you know, in the United States of America, he's the uh, best-selling solo artist of all time. 
sold more records than Michael Jackson than Prince. Really? Okay. Yeah. I, I would have guessed that that Jackson was no. Jackson was higher. Okay. Uh, uh, the only artist who have sold more records in the United States of America are the Beatles. Um, and then after that, it is it is Garth Brooks. Um, in in terms of the world, he's obviously not. Um, you know, on you know, on that scale, like uh, Elvis Presley's ahead of him there, Michael Jackson's ahead of him there, Madonna's ahead of him there. The Beatles obviously yeah. are number one all time. But in terms of the United States of America, uh, this is true. Only artist ever sell more records in the United States, uh, the Beatles, and no solo artist has ever sold as many as Garth Brooks. So I said, all right, we'll go. Like it's a big deal, and like I'll have a bunch of friends there. It'll be, it'll be, you know, they have bars. You know, it'll be, we'll drink beer, and it'll be, or or, or vodka, and it'll be a good show, and whatever. And I will say, he is a remarkable performer. Like I don't care about the songs, um, but like he's really good at. And it might come off as corny to somebody, but when you're sitting there, um, this was this was my takeaway from the show. When you're sitting there, you go. Wow, he looks like he's having the most fun he's ever had in his life, and he looks blown away by the scene. He 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 has a unique ability to make himself look like he's having the best time he's ever had, and to make you feel like you're the reason that he's having the best time he's ever had. Like it's almost like he's a, a young artist who suddenly finds himself headlining Coachella and can't believe that he's headlining Coachella. Except really he's just playing the first of four nights sold out an arena, something that he's done literally thousands of times throughout his life. Like in terms of like interacting yeah. and like looking at people. And it seems to uh, have an effect on the crowd because I bet you 18,000 people there, like 14,000 of them walked out of there going, yeah, Garth Brooks looked at me or Garth Brooks waved at me or Garth Brooks winked at me or Garth Brooks sang a song to me. I don't know, just a remarkable performer. I, and so I, I guess the point would be that's why we had to record early last Thursday night. Um, but also if you are, uh, if he has a show in your town, if you love Garth Brooks, you'll love the show. Even if you don't like Garth Brooks, it's like not a bad way to spend the night. It was kind of enjoyable. I dig that. So now I'm going to Carolina Duke on Thursday, but I fly out on Wednesday, and so here I mean, we are. And here we are. So I mean, listen, I appreciate getting the podcast out to people whenever we can. We're doing it three times a week through the end of the season, and it wasn't a huge Monday GP. But I mean, do you want to get into Kansas and and their win in Mason, or where do you want to go with this? Yeah, Kansas, uh, Kansas State, right? So that was the uh, I was going to say that was the high profile game on Monday night. It actually wasn't. It was probably right. Louisville, Virginia, but then Louisville suspended. Rick Pitino did. Two players uh, prior to game time, at which point we voided the Now you're done with this. We voided it. We had to void it. I issued a void. Yeah, I issued on Twitter a void bet. Hashtag void bet. You can't can't make me uh, uh, insist that Louisville is is worthwhile on a Sunday afternoon. Then tell me on Monday morning that you're going to be down two rotation players after you're already down two other players, meaning you're down to seven scholarship players. I can't take Louisville I can't do that. Not when you're that limited uh, in at uh, at Virginia. So that was a that was a void bet. Hashtag void bet. And then uh, Louisville, I think, was uh, within striking distance at the half. Might have even been up, but Virginia ultimately pulled away. Uh, whatever. Uh, then the game that got really good, Kansas Kansas State. It was the late night game on ESPN, or the second in a doubleheader, and uh, Kansas won. Uh, Frank Mason got 21 points, jumped in the stands, got a steal after jumping into the stands. Just a uh, a nice road win after a rough home loss. And so the Jayhawks remain first place, sole possession uh, of first place in the Big 12 standings. 
Yeah, I think Mason would probably be, and you'll have your player of the year race update on Wednesday. I would probably have Mason number one. Do you want to say Josh Jackson was having a tremendous game, then got into foul trouble really early in the second half. And uh, because of that, you know, it was a tight game. And Mason really, I mean, he had a, he had a strong game overall. When you watch him play, just ter- terrific. He's I think he is now ascending, and Kansas fans listening will have their own opinions on this, but I get the sense that Frank Mason is now reaching a level, and this usually only happens with players that stick around for three and four years, but he is becoming a guy that's on the short list of of Kansas' fans' favorite players over the past 10 or 15 years or within the self era because he's got a really good, he's got a great swag about his game. He hits big shots. That steal coming out of press row was just awesome. I mean, it was a good play. Unfortunately, he turned he turned the he turned the ball over on the other end of the floor. But the first half of it looked uh, looked incredible. So now I, I I love it when you got the highlight and tweeted it. You like you 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 ended oh, it before I, the turnover. That way, it wasn't yes. it wasn't uh, overshadowed by a bad uh, a mistake at the end. Yeah. Uh, because uh, everything prior to that moment was spectacular. Awesome. Yeah, and it was actually that actually that sequence ended like um, there was like a forty five second sequence where it was just. It was um, just exciting. I thought it was actually a pretty damn good game, to, to be honest. A really engaging first half. And then pretty close near the end, Kansas State would have done wonders for its resume if it could have pulled that game off at home. And if you're a K-State fan, I mean, this is just the story year after year. I mean, you just you just try and pick off these wins against Kansas, and you don't get them nearly as frequently as you want. For KU, didn't really take a hit in the polls. Now 21-3, and three, still with an inside track at getting a one seed. Uh, you know, a really good home win, a really good road win. Um, and now they got to turn around and play at Texas Tech on Saturday. We'll see if they can pull that out. But for me, GP, I would have Mason. I would probably right now. This is off the top of my head. I didn't research this before the podcast, but I think I would go Mason one. I'd probably go Hart two. I I think I would go Swanigan three. I think for for Player of the Year, and I don't know where I'd have Nigel Williams Goss, but with Gonzaga still being undefeated, I think I would have him top six or seven at this point because he's been really really good and they're still undefeated but do you agree with me mason number one player of the year right now or would you stick with Hart? i have had mason number one player of the year for a few weeks now um i i tend to not look at that stuff until late tuesday night i post it every wednesday morning and i just want to i find it to be a waste of time to start diving in while there are still players under consideration playing on tuesday night um, so I'll, you know, and I think doesn't Villanova play late Tuesday night? I think they do. So I won't, uh, I won't look at it until after Josh Hart's done tonight and Villanova's done tonight. But um, yeah, I mean, probably if I had Frank Mason number one last week, I don't know that there's any obvious reason to to not have him there uh, going forward. Josh Hart seems uh, like uh, I think the top three in some order are are, are Mason Hart and Caleb Swanigan, and uh, for a while now. There have been some who have suggested, like, it's a two-player race. I don't think that's true at all. Like, Caleb Swanigan is having an awesome individual season. And as long as Purdue can can continue to win, and I think that win at Maryland over the weekend where he got, I believe his 20th double-double, 20 and 24 games. He's got like three 2020 games. Like you wrote about Swanigan. You know all the – everything he's done this season. Uh, Like, as long as Purdue keeps winning – because uh, that, to me, that's the criteria for being a national player of the year. Be awesome for an awesome team. That's what I, or, or at least awesome for a very good team. And uh, Purdue is a good team. And uh, you know they're they're not thought of 
or ranked like Kansas or Villanova, but that sure as hell ain't, ain't Caleb Swanigan's fault. Like, he's been awesome. So uh, I would put those three players, Mason Hart and Swanigan, in the top three in some order. And I don't know that I'll have Swanigan one, but if you had Swanigan one, I wouldn't think that's stupid. Like, it's a perfectly reasonable place to have him, given what he's doing individually and that his team is uh, an obvious top 20 team right now. I think that's totally fair. And keep an eye later this week. Uh, Purdue plays at Indiana. That's a that's a fairly fierce rivalry among the fan bases there. Uh, you know, Bob Knight famously hated Purdue. <laughs> There's a very famous recording of Knight back in the day dropping F-bombs talking about not wanting to lose to Purdue. Indiana could really use a win in that spot. I would argue if the Hoosiers lose there on Thursday night against uh, Swanigan and the Boilermakers, that would be a home loss for IU. You could justify in the moment not putting IU in the field, even though they've defeated. I know it sounds kind of crazy because they have wins over Kansas and Carolina, but the committee will evaluate IU as it is. And OG's done for the year. OG was there for those previous wins. And the status of James Blackman remains uh, you know, in doubt. So if, if they don't have Blackman and OG in the moment, if they lose to Purdue, you could definitely make the case that a 5-7 and seven Big Ten IU team that's lost double-digit losses could be on the outside looking in because within the league, the only win they have of really any substance is against Michigan State. All their other wins have come against, you know, Illinois, Rutgers, Penn State. Not that great there. So just, you know, Thursday night has a lot of, you know, Carolina Duke, which I'll be at. UCLA, Oregon's a huge game. Um, Indiana, Purdue probably has the most at stake because I also think it means uh, a Purdue win keeps them uh, – within striking distance of winning the league and a loss probably eliminates them from the conversation. Let me tell you about SeatGeek for a minute. You know, buying tickets online for sports and concerts has been a confusing process for a long, long time. It's always been hard to find the best deal for that game or or the concert or show that you want to attend, and none of the older ticket sites wanted to change that. But then SeatGeek came along. Thank God SeatGeek came along and changed everything. They've created an amazing app and website. Uh, that makes it easier than ever for fans to buy and sell tickets. In other words, uh, once upon a time, you just have to like take your best shot with whatever uh, uh, ticket purchasing app or website you wanted and hope, just trust blindly, that you were getting the best deal. Unless, of course, you wanted to take the time to look over here and look over here and look over here and look over here. SeatGeek comes along, you don't have to do that anymore. Uh, they're going to handle the price comparison for you by searching multiple ticket sites. That's going to ensure that you get the best possible deal every time. In other words, SeatGeek does all the work for you. You save time and money. Do you like saving time and money? I like saving time and money. That's why I, I like use saving time and money. Norlander likes you saving time and money. That's why he uses SeatGeek. It's why I use SeatGeek. It's why you ought to use SeatGeek as well. So here's what you need to do. If you haven't done it already, and shame on you if you haven't done it already because we've been telling you to do this for weeks now, download the SeatGeek app. Download the SeatGeek app. Purchase tickets. Basketball tickets, football tickets. It's going to be a while until you can purchase football tickets again, but you get the point. Baseball tickets, that's right around the corner. Concert tickets, whatever. Uh, buy the tickets, use the promo code COLLEGEBB. That's COLLEGEBB, and SeatGeek will send you $20 after you've made your first ticket purchase. Again, promo code is COLLEGEBB. That's COLLEGEBB. That's SeatGeek, millions of tickets in one place. So in that last podcast that we recorded on Sunday afternoon, uh, from the Calhoun Room at the Sanctuary Hotel on Kiowa Island. And by the way, we had mentioned in the process of talking about that from there that I was celebrating being in the home state of uh, Devin Downey. And then I said, I don't even know if this is the home state of Devin Downey. We know he played at South Carolina. Not sure if he actually grew up in South Carolina. It turns out he did grow up in South Carolina. A Winthrop fan on Twitter uh, pointed it out after listening to the podcast. Hey, Parrish, understand you absolutely were in the home state of Devin Downey. So, uh, 
Shout out to Devin Downey. Shout out to Winthrop. Shout out to Terry Teagle. Shout out to the Sanctuary. Uh, but in the process of uh, recording that podcast, I mentioned sort of randomly that I was looking at um, uh, doing a Kentucky column where I uh, sort of tried to dive into uh, what was happening with this team why it's lost three of its past four games, why it's struggling relative to preseason expectations, and see if I could find a common thread between that and other John Calipari teams that um, have taken a while to click. Because the truth is, he's been remarkably great at uh, Kentucky. Uh, Seven seasons in the book, I believe four of them have resulted in Final Fours. Only one time did he miss the NCAA tournament, and that is when his best player suffered a torn ACL two days before Valentine's Day. And so here's what I found. Uh, This Kentucky team right now, and I want to be very clear, it's not as simple as this, but this is like an interesting statistical thing to point out. Uh, This Kentucky team right now is relying on freshmen to score 67.5% of the points that it scores per game. I think they're averaging 90.2 points per game. 67.5% of those 90.2 points per game are coming from freshmen. This is the, in, in, in that way, specifically that way, Uh, This team is relying on freshmen more so than any other John Calipari Kentucky coach team ever, except for the 2014 team uh, that relied on freshmen for scoring 84.8% of its points. In other words, check this out. Right now, if you take the eight John Calipari years and you try to figure out what are the four teams of the eight years, including this year, what are the four teams that relied most on freshmen to score the four teams are 2014 this team 2017 2011 and 2013 2011 13 and 14 those teams all lost six sec games in other words there should be nothing surprising about this literally every team that john calipari has coached that has ever relied on freshmen to score in excess of 60 percent of its points per game has struggled in January and February. This is nothing new. This is ex- this is exactly the way it goes every single time. And the good news for Kentucky fans, and I think I pointed this out on the podcast, is that uh, two of those previous three teams, the 2011 team and the 2014 team, ultimately figured it out despite losing six SEC games and made it to the Final Four. 2011 got to the Final Four. 2014 got to the National Championship game. The only team that didn't figure it out that was relying heavily, this heavily on freshmen, was the 2013 team, and that's the team that lost Nerlens Noel. And so we don't know whether that team, if healthy, would have ever flipped a, a similar switch uh, like the 2014 team did and the 2011 team did, uh, but it could have. And I, I think folks forget this sometimes because – uh, we remember that 2013 team as the team that went to the NIT and lost to Robert Morris. Before Nerlens went down, they were on a five-game winning streak. They were 8-2 and two in the SEC, and they were top 20 at Ken Palm. They were fine. It, it fell apart when Nerlens Noel went down, and they never recovered, and they went to the NIT. But my point is, every other team that Giants had that's relied this heavily on freshmen has struggled in January and February, and two of the three, the only two that didn't suffer a, a serious injury to its best player, a key player, uh, ended up in the Final Four anyway. And so the, the point of the column I wrote, and it should be published at some point uh, today, is like if you're writing Kentucky's obituary already, um, you, you, you're setting yourself up to look foolish because we have seen this before, this exactly before, a, a, a freshman-heavy team at UK struggle in January and February. Uh, but literally every time that they didn't lose their best player, 
to an injury, um, they, t- they flipped it on eventually and ended up in the Final Four. Would you, uh, do you think this one will follow that similar path, or is this just going to be one where we look up in, you know, mid-March and go, hey, Parrish, nice column back on February 7th, but, uh, you know, it didn't work out that way. Has a good chance to. The difference with this team compared to every other team is it plays so much faster. Uh, all these previous Calipari teams have really hovered um, – kind of for the shot clock or not, even within the realm of of a sport in a given year, they've just been a middle-of-the-pack kind of tempo team. Uh, The first year he was there with Wall running the show, and Wall is the only other point guard that really is close in terms of speed with the ball to Fox, and I kind of think it's a toss-up. I think Calipari has said Fox is faster. He might be needling his his former player when he says that but uh i don't know if you if you watch john wall uh monday night against the Cavs, i don't know if anybody's faster than that dude he was blown by Kyrie every time i know i know he's he he can very much be a blur it's really awesome to watch so the fact that this team has thrived off of playing fast fox has been a little, little dinged up um you know can he get healthy fully healthy soon and can they get it right that's what I'm intrigued about. I think that things are going to look good for Kentucky fans in the short term. I don't remember if I mentioned this on the podcast or if it was on a radio interview, but um, they're, they're going to get good here over the next week and a half, two weeks, I think, because home to LSU Tuesday night, that should be not even remotely close. They do play on the road against Alabama this weekend, GP, but I don't think Alabama's that good. And I don't think that Kentucky should have much trouble with that. If they do, then let's let's circle back on you know next Sunday night's podcast and we can really discuss this. But I don't think they're going to have much issue there. And then they get the revenge game against Tennessee in a week, and I think that they'll be able to win that game by double digits as well. So I, I think that'll be good for the team and its confidence to get some stability there. But ultimately, let's see how they do at Georgia. You know, it's a talented Georgia team. They're going to have to play on the road, and the Bulldogs almost beat them at home. And let's see how they do when Florida comes to town at the end of the month and see how they respond there overall. Uh, they have a good chance. My my grand takeaway, I shot a video for CBS this morning, and I do think I said this on the podcast as well. But in order for Kentucky to like get right and, and match what previous Kentucky teams have done and run through the tournament and get to the final weekend, I just happen to think that Monk and Fox have to play like the best backcourt Calipari has ever had in order to give them a chance to get to, in order to not give them a chance to get to the final four. If you tell me that they go on just a tremendously productive run and they're both healthy and they're able to do that, I think they'll have a really good chance. Just been a little erratic at this point, so let's see what happens from there. But it's it's it is interesting that you took the the perspective of just like, all right, let's look at the hard data, let's look at the numbers, let's see what these teams that have relied on freshman talents before have done and what they haven't done. And what you see right now, broadly speaking, shouldn't be too much of a surprise the only twist i would give to that is again it's it's a little concerning if you're a kentucky fan for this to be happening and it and it's happening in a league that's just not that good and i say that fully acknowledging that one of the losses that kentucky's uh incurred over the past few weeks came out of league against kansas but even though that was still it was still at home so i i do find the team fascinating gp um but i ultimately think we're not gonna have an answer to this until like two three weeks from now that's all I think that's fair. Yeah, like, listen, I'm, I I even write in the sort of, I like, close the column by saying, listen, no, I'm not guaranteeing anything. You know, like, uh, A, who knows? B, even if they do flip a switch and get awesome, um, uh, you know, a single elimination tournament of 40-minute basketball games is by definition uh, unpredictable. Like, only a fool would guarantee anything. 
uh, or a liar. Um, so you know, I'm not guaranteeing anything. I'm just saying, uh, given the way this team is specifically built and how reliant it is on freshmen to score, um, we should you shouldn't be surprised by the, the the ups and downs that it's enduring because it's normal. You know, it, it's normal for you know, it's normal, normal as it relates to other similarly built John Calipari teams. And also you shouldn't be surprised if they end up in the final four, because more often than not, that has what has happened when teams that are built this way, even ones that struggle, it is what happens when they get into the NCAA tournament. Uh, Let's wrap up with this. We mentioned that we're recording on Tuesday afternoon because tonight I got to be in studio all night at CBS Sports Network. I won't get out of there till like 1.30 in the morning. And you're leaving bright and early on Wednesday morning to go to North Carolina, which is, by the way, like right on top of Devin Downey's home state if you want to pop down there for a little bit and just pay tribute. <laughs> you interested in that? I don't know you got, I you got time for that? You got time for that? I don't know if I if I can squeeze in the drive, but uh, yeah, because it's North Carolina is deceivingly big, by the way. Like in terms of like when you drive through North Carolina, like going to OBX, it's it's not it's not as simple as like you know a forty five minute drive. You're talking like seriously like three or four hours. I don't think I can squeeze that in to my to my regret. Listen, listen, I'm not saying you got to do it. I'm just saying you should consider it. It's a little bit like how people you know when they find themselves in Indiana, they're like, you know what, Uh, I'm gonna go to gonna go to French Lick. And, um, you know, just really? uh, that, that happened. Yeah. But you don't, you don't, you haven't heard people do that. I've got friends who have gone to French Lake just to say I was in Larry Bird's hometown. You don't know that. You don't think people do that. People do that. I don't think it's like a common thing. Like, Hey, I'm just chilling in Indianapolis. Let's drive out to French Lake. I'm sure it happens, but you know. Okay. So, so if you want to, I pop- thought you were going to say Chicago. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. French Lake. Like you go to the hometown of, of Larry Bird. The same way you might go to Chester, South Carolina, to visit the hometown of, of the great Devin Downey. Where are you going to be in? Okay, so you're going to be in Durham, North Carolina. Let me just see if I can make this work for you. Durham, North Carolina. You're, you're looking this up right now. Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm technically I'm staying in Raleigh, but yes. Okay, okay, I, that might be better. Let's start over. I'm on Raleigh's a little now. further south. Okay, yes, so. Raleigh. Save me. We'll just do. Okay, and then Chester, South Carolina. Chester County, South Carolina. Come on. I'm guessing I'm guessing three hours and forty five minutes. That's three, what I guess. Dude, not even close. It's three hours and fourteen minutes. You can get there in three hours and fourteen minutes. You could like watch Titanic or drive and go see Devin Downey's hometown. What do you what are you gonna do? Probably neither. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna neither. report and do neither of those things. But either way, I'm excited to <laughs> You're going to North <laughs> so you're going to North Carolina. Yes. Uh, it'll be your first trip to Cameron Indoor Stadium. Be your yes. first trip to uh, Duke's campus, right? Yes, I've I You excited? I've campus. I've never Oh, dude, I'm I'm very pumped. This is actually my first year at CBS. Um uh, our former colleague Eric Angemine was with us at the time and uh, he and I were talking and I was like, "You know what, dude? You go. I'll, I'll get to go like next year or the year after whatever." So he went and he covered it that year and I've been waiting ever since. So finally I get to go. Uh, pretty pumped for it because it also is a game with, you know, listen, Duke will have to win in order to kind of, in, in my opinion, establish itself or reestablish its reputation as like a true, you know, Final Four threat. If, if Duke loses by, you know, eight to ten points on his home floor to Carolina, um, that would, I, I think on, on such a national, in such a national game and on a huge stage, I think uh, people will come away from that game really having serious doubts about this team. Meanwhile, Carolina trying to get the inside track to a one seed. If it can win at Duke, would have a pretty good shot, I think, down the road. I think this uh, could have 
some impact on the ACC's overall race. So I, I'm very excited for that. Um, yeah, just excited. You know, I've never been in Cameron. I know uh, it, the, the students are right behind you. So what's your advice here? Like, I don't really have, like, I don't have, like, a throwaway blazer. And I say that to say I don't have a jacket that's good enough to wear to a game but not nice enough that I'm cool with getting, you know, just draped in blue paint. So what do you, I know you've been to Cameron a few times. Sure. What's your wardrobe go to? Cause you know, like they're right they're They're right next to you. And it's in a very intimate situation. Right. No, I mean, you have to, um, basically you're going to, the well, first thing you're going to basically climb into your seat. You're going to be on the court and you're going to, uh, you're going to climb over press row. Because trying to walk, unless you just settle into your seat very, very early, trying to walk in that very uh, confined space between the Cameron Crazies and your chair, it's just like, it's just, it's more trouble than it's worth. So you're probably going to climb into your seat. It is it is the one place in college basketball where you're better off probably just climbing over a table to get into your seat than you are actually trying to walk to your seat. Um you know what? It's sort of an exaggeration in that, oh, you can't wear anything nice. Like, yeah, there's a chance you're going to get paint on you, but like it'll come off. Like when you, do you take your blazers to uh, d- to a dry cleaner? Yes. Well, then they'll, they'll handle it. So like wear whatever you want to wear. It's going to be fine. But yes, you're going to have people like like on top of you. Like they're going to be, you know, in, inches away from you staring down at your head. And so it sucks if you got a bald spot like I do because it's just, ugh. but um, yeah, they're right on top of you. I will say this. Um, it's, it's, it's an awesome experience. You know, I, I think anybody who, uh, does what we do for a living and goes to sporting events all the time, you can become a little numb to it. Like, whatever, like, um, you know, yeah, another basketball game. Woohoo. Um, but that is one place where when you're in there, I think, especially when you're in there for the first time, I've been there many times now, but when you're in there for the first time, you're like, Wow. Um, this is, you know, there's a reason people call it the best. And I, I, I actually think Allen Fieldhouse is maybe a little cooler, but it's like 1A, 1B. And if you have Cameron ahead of ranked ahead of Allen, it is those two. Those are the two best, I, uh, clearly. If you don't have those two as one and two in some order, then you, you're not putting them, you're not doing it right. Those two are the best. But, um, but you know, Cameron, you're going to walk in and you're going to go, oh, wow, this is it. Because you've grown up looking at that place, you know? Right. Like it's been such a it's been such a visual for your entire life, and then you're inside there, and you'll notice two things. And I think we've talked about this before on the podcast. The first thing you'll notice is you're going to be walking into Cameron Indoor. You're going to be walking around campus, and you're going to see Cameron Indoor, and you're going to go, "That's they play basketball inside there," because it looks just like every other building on campus. Like if 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 it were the English building. Without the sign that says Cameron Indoor, if I just dropped you on campus and said, "Hey, go find the go find the place where Duke plays basketball," and I took all the signs off all the buildings, you you just and be, the tents away and the tents. I need I need to take the tents away. You'd never find it because it doesn't look like a place where one of the biggest brands in college basketball is playing ba- plays basketball. It looks like a science building. It looks like every other building on campus. Um, so that's the first thing you'll notice is like, wow, this is Cam- like that's it just, for anybody who's never who, who either has never seen or don't or doesn't remember what the outside of Cameron Indoor looks like. Just Google it outside Cameron Indoor Stadium. It looks like a normal building. Then the other thing you'll notice is when you walk inside, it has very much of a especially if you come in the front doors, it has like a high school gym feeling to it. Like it, like there's a concession like there's a concession stand that looks like the concession stand at a high school. And they sell like stuff that they would sell at a high school, 
like a like a little pizza and a little hot dog and a little hamburger. And so it's very much like like there's unless they change it like this year, there's nothing really. Fa- it feels like you're at a high school game right there. And then you walk into the actual playing surface, which is you know feet away. You know, like you walk in and then there's maybe like ten yards, twenty yards, and then you walk through some other doors and there it is. It feels like a high school gym. And then you get inside there and you go, oh, wow, this place is small, small, small. It is very, yeah. it's very tiny relative to what you think about when you walk into a basketball arena. And then you're going to see the banners and you're going to see like, you know, Coach K Court and you're going to see, hot, right? yeah, like it's, um, it's, like they don't, they don't really have AC in there. I thought that is, isn't it famous for like how hot it can get? Or maybe that's just up in the bird's nest because it's also, I think, I think GP, it's the only arena in college basketball where the announcers aren't on the floor because there's just no room for them. Yeah, there's no room. Like, so when you see uh, broadcasters doing television, I've never been up. I don't think I've ever. No, I've never been up there. Um, I'm always like right. Every time I've been, I've sat right courtside. Um, But but yeah, they have to put the TV people up there. They're like staring down. But here's the thing. Even when you're up there, you're not that far away. It's uh, Mm -hmm. it's going to be a neat experience. You enjoy it. It lives up to the hype. It is. It's like. I remember going to Wrigley Field for the first time and going, oh, wow. Yeah, that definitely – when you step into Wrigley and when you step into Fenway, have you been to Fenway? Because both I've, – I've never been – I've never – I've been to Fenway. I've never been there for a game. I've just like been there. Like I was in Boston and I was like, hey, I want to stop by. Yeah. Uh, but I, I want to go there for a game. I, I was disappointed. The Mets don't – I wanted to go for a Mets-Red Sox game at Fenway. The Mets don't play at Fenway this upcoming season. So I may just get there at some point anyway. But I remember the first time I went to Wrigley, like you walk in and you go, yep, this, I, I get it. Like I understand why everybody calls this the best. Like it, it lives Definitely. up to the hype. And I think Cameron also lives up to the hype. Um, you won't go there and, and, and walk away going, I don't get it. You'll go, you, you know, you'll walk away going, wow, that was a, that was a cool experience. I, I, I don't. I'm not big on bucket list things because you know not everybody has the means or, or uh, you know the uh, to to go do th- some of these things we're lucky enough to do. But if you do have it, if you do have the opportunity to ever go see a, a Duke game at Duke, especially a Duke Carolina game at Duke, um, it's if you're a sports fan, it's it's a neat experience. You you won't be disappointed. I'm looking forward to it. And the one regret I had is uh, that I have is I, I was trying to book out to figure out because I'm going to be there for a couple of days, report on a few different things. And I was going to decide if I was going to go early in the week and then leave Friday after the game or, you know, do what I'm doing now, go Wednesday and leave on Saturday. And I picked that route. And what I missed was I, I really think I would have booked this the other way if I'd remembered. But every year, every Tuesday night, the Tuesday night before the Duke Carolina game. Um, the media has a local pickup game right there in Cameron, and it's uh, it's a really cool, fun tradition. And I'm unfortunately going to miss out on that, so maybe sometime in the future. I just think it's it's really cool, and I might wax a bit on this on our on our Friday podcast. But I do love what you were talking about, GP. I love the fact that there's this, and this is part of the charm of college sports, in my opinion. You don't have this in the NBA, you don't have it in the NFL. You really don't have it at the college football level. I, I guess one because stadiums are so much bigger, but even then, like. There's no like huge powerhouses in college football that play like Duke is this. It's it's arguably the best program, best job in, in the sport, right? And yet it plays in what am, amounts to a glorified high school gym. And if it wanted to, 30 years ago, 10 years ago, 50 years ago, to upgrade from that, it could have, but it but it didn't, and it still works for what it is. And I just find that to be really cool. Yeah, um, the only thing I would say is that um, keeping it the way it is is. I think a massive home court advantage and it adds to the whatever of Duke. But like, whereas some schools, if you had going what it has going, you would go, Hey, let's, let's, let's build a 15,000 on uh, campus facility. Like 
here's the little thing about Duke. It doesn't have that many fans, you know, like locally. You know, like, you know, it's that North Carolina is still the biggest deal in that state by a wide, wide margin. So I don't know if they could actually, the way Kentucky and Kansas, uh, Indiana, Arizona can fill up, you know, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, in excess of 20,000 at Kentucky, Syracuse, the way they can get that many fans into games for, for basically any game. I don't know that Duke could actually do that. You know, they don't always feel Cameron Indoor. The students don't in recent years. Um, like, it's a it's a small campus and, and not many students. And North Carolina is still the biggest deal in that state. Um, but uh, whether that's the reason they've stuck with Cameron Indoor or not, I don't care. I'm glad they have because it's uh, it's one of the truly neat places in college basketball. I uh, hope you have a good time, and I know that you will, and we will review it, plus the Duke Carolina game. On, Talk uh, Friday morning, GP? On, on Friday morning. I promise cool. you, I'll be ready. So uh, we will do that on Friday morning, and remember – you can subscribe to the Iron College Basketball Podcast on iTunes. That's the best way to get the latest episodes as quickly as possible. So uh, please go do that. Thank you all uh, for listening. And uh, we will uh, be back on Friday morning. Till then, take care. <laughs>